book of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. That's the love chapter. Uh, a, a, a chapter dealing with knowing how to love. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 is the ending of the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, it's very interesting. Paul here is speaking to a local New Testament church, a group of born-again baptized believers. And notice what he says in verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing except against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, ye are strong, and this also we wish, even your, what? Your perfection. Therefore I write unto thee, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning asking you to speak specifically to our hearts. Lord, you know each heart. You created us. You know how many hairs we have on our head. And if you could be that detailed, you know what's in our heart and what we need this morning. God, I ask you to really speak to us by the power of your Spirit. May it not be my voice, but your voice speaking. And may I say just what needs to be said. For your glory and your, yours only. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's interesting because the church at Corinth was a very carnal church. In fact, Paul said, I cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes. He said, I fed you with milk and not with meat, because you couldn't, you couldn't handle it. They were a very carnal church. They were taking their brothers and sisters to law. They were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. There was fornication and, and adultery taking place, all kinds of things that we would say, that is not what the local New Testament church ought to be producing. But you know what? God is a God of mercy, and He's a God of grace. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of cleansing. And certainly that's what He did in that church. When we get to the second book of Corinthians, we find that the church is doing much better. They're starting to respond to spiritual things. In fact, 
he's beginning to commend them and compliment them for some of the things that they were doing. I like it when Christians are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Amen? And uh, we can always honor the Lord. And, and there's nothing wrong with walking perfect before our God. Amen. We ought to practice it. Amen? They say practice makes what? Uh, that's right. So we must practice what we profess. And it's important for us not to be hypocrites. You know what hypocrites do? They turn off your neighbor. The Bible says a hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. Usually the people that know you best are the people that live near you and can hear you. Oh, it's important for us to be a good testimony. Amen? But we come to this passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's, it's the culmination of the book that he's writing. And he says to them, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Now, why would he say something like that? Unless he wanted each individual to examine themselves and to prove whether they're in the faith or not. Not everybody that saith, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of God. We understand that, don't we? Anybody can say, I'm a Baptist and end up in hell. It's not a religion that saves you. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ that makes all the difference in the world. That's the life-changing work of God is when he brings us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we understand that it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, not your pleasure. It's not what we want. It's what God wants for us. And I've always found this to be true, that when I put God first in my life, I am the most happy. When I try to please myself, I become miserable. You understand that? All of us do, don't we? I want to give you some things that I want you to write down. These are words that all begin with the letter C, okay? This will help you to remember the message. I begin with the first word, the word commence. Or you could write the word commencement. How many have ever graduated? Anybody graduates here? Yes, well, that's a, you went to a commencement service. And you thought, wow, I have finished the work that I was supposed to do. I now have that sheepskin. I've got that diploma. I've arrived. But that's not what the word commence means. The word commence means the beginning. A person that graduates from high school or graduates from college, uh, that's just the beginning of their new career, of what they're going to do with their life. And I believe that God, through the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, is saying, when did God begin to do a work in your life? Now, all of you know that God is always advancing. He's always working in people's lives. Jesus said, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. So God's working on you, whether you want him to or not. Isn't that wonderful? God doesn't give up on people. And he, he loves us unconditionally. We don't even love people unconditionally sometimes. But he always loves us unconditionally. He takes us where we are and brings us to where he wants us to be. I'll never forget, when I was six years old, that was where God commenced his work in my life. 
I was uh, in a revival meeting at the church where my dad was the pastor. A big preacher named uh, Dr. Throgmorton came and preached at our church, an evangelist, and he preached a hot message on hell. Uh, it really scared me. I'm sitting about three rows back, and boy, I'll tell you what, when the invitation came, Dan Knickerbocker got out of his seat and came to the altar. I wanted to be saved, but nobody dealt with me, Pastor. I, I was kneeling there, and nobody came up and said, Danny, why did you come? I said, I, wanna, I would have said, I want to get saved, but nobody dealt with me. I went back to my seat thinking that because I was a preacher's son and because I wanted to be saved, I guess it happened. But you know what? Nothing changed in my life. Nothing. I was just as miserable as I always had been. My brothers didn't like me and I didn't like them. <laughs> you know, one of those deals. And uh, I, I just went on thinking that I was saved. And then at age 14, my father said to me one day, he was in the bathroom shaving. He had white shaving cream all over his face. He says, is that you, Dan? And I had just walked in, sat down in the rocking chair in the living room. I said, yeah, it's me. And he came around the corner with all that shaving cream. And he said, Daniel, I've never seen any indication that you're really saved. And I thought to myself, I haven't seen any indication that I'm saved either. And you know what? After my dad went off to do his work, I got my Bible and I sat there in that rocking chair in the cottage on Round Lake in Sonora, New York, and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I got saved. I was so excited. Dad came home that night, and I think he still remembered what I'd done that caused him to make that statement to me. And uh, he, I said, Dad, guess what I did today? He said, what, son? I said, I got saved. He said, we'll see. <laughs> now, I'm glad he said that. You know why? Anybody can say they're saved, yeah. but to know that you're saved and to live like you're saved, that's, that's totally different. Yeah. Amen. Now, I want to ask you the question, when did God begin to speak to you and work in your life? When was it he brought you under conviction that you were a sinner? You know, the Holy Spirit has a ministry where he convicts us first. Then he convinces us that we're lost in need of a Savior. And then he converts us. And that's how it works. So the Holy Spirit's dealing with you before you ever get saved. But if he brings you to that place. You say, man, I need to get this taken care of. I need to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. I want forgiveness of sin. I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. I want him to be the master of my life. And that's what happened to me when I was 14 years old. What a blessing it was and has been and always will be. It was where God was working on my life, the commencement. I ask you the question, can you tell the story of how you were convicted and how you were convinced you needed a Savior? Could you stand and tell me when you got saved? Oh, I want to tell you, that's the most precious possession that you have because He comes into your life. He moves in and he wants to take over, amen? amen? And the more you yield your life to the Lord Jesus, the more you acknowledge that he uh, uh, can help you to live the Christian life better than you can do it yourself, that's when you become victorious. You know, there's a difference between the normal Christian life and the abundant Christian life. And that's what we labor for, that we might abundantly serve the Lord. Okay, number two. Not only does God commence his work in your life, but secondly, we begin to confess Jesus Christ as our Savior. 
Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, we find um, the Lord Jesus speaking. I think when Jesus says something, it's pretty important, don't you? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus Christ is speaking here. And he makes a statement. He said, whosoever, therefore, shall what? Confess. Say it with me. Confess me before men. Him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. Now I want to tell you, that is probably one of the greatest verses in the Bible. If you'll confess me, Jesus is saying, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. That's exciting to me. Now I already confessed to you when I got saved, didn't I? I confessed you, I confessed Jesus Christ to you. And now you know that all of you know that I have confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior to men. Now what did he say if you'll do that? He said, I'll confess you before whom? My Father which is in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? You see, the Christian life and salvation is not to be hidden. It's to be exposed. It's to be put out where people know it. So when people see you, they say, well, you know, that person right there, they're saved and on their way to heaven, but I'm not. Amen. Amen. Don't you think our lives ought to bring conviction to people that aren't saved to be saved? And he said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, which is heaven. Now, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is the next verse. Look at it. Verse 33. But whosoever shall what? Deny. Deny me before men. Him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Well, I'm glad I got saved, Pastor, but I'm not telling nobody. I mean, I'm going to go incognito. You know, no one's going to find out that I'm a Christian. It's like the young boy that his father took him to logging camp. Because he wanted to be a logger, so he went to logging camp. He said, now, son, don't forget, tell people about Jesus. And tell them how you got saved and all this and he got in the car at the end of the summer and his dad said, how'd you do? He said, Dad, you're not going to believe it. I went all summer. Not one person found out I was a Christian. <laughs> or maybe he wasn't. I believe people that are possessed by the Lord Jesus Christ want to make him known. You're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that what? Believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Bible makes it clear that we are debtors to the lost. We're to give them the gospel. Paul said, I'm ready to preach the gospel. And, and Jesus is saying, if you will confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father which is heaven. But if you deny me, if you say, I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian, there's a good possibility you're not. You know, some people, uh, they, they kind of, I think they think salvation's a fire escape from hell. And they say, well, I want to get saved so I don't go to hell. But they live as though they don't know Jesus Christ. Right. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ cannot move into your heart but what it's noticeable. The Bible says, and that brings me to my third word. Here's the third word. Not only are we to, uh, to commence God's working in our lives and then confess Jesus Christ before men, but we are to see change take place in our life. Number three, write down the word changes. There are changes that take place when you become a Christian. The Bible tells us right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, 
Many of you know this verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. It's, 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 it's giving the thought of a new creation. I'm no longer what I used to be. I've been transformed by God's power. I've been forgiven of all my sins. And I have complete access to God through Jesus Christ. Ben, if that's not worthy of saying amen to, I don't know what is. Amen? So we're, we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Then he says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become what? New. New. My daddy used to be the devil. He, Jesus said, ye are of your father the devil. He was speaking to lost people there. But if you're in Christ, you're a new creature, and you have a heavenly father. Amen. Amen. You have one that watches out over you and has prepared a place for you in heaven. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Amen. He's coming back for us also. We sang about that in that song one day. Amen. He's coming back. But he's coming back for the saved, not the lost. And oh, it's important for every one of us to realize that there need to be some changes that take place in our life. I was talking with a preacher recently, and he said, you know, it's interesting that people that have been saved from a vile life of sin, people that may have been on drugs, alcohol, doing all kinds of terrible, wicked things, involved in all kinds of ungodliness, there is such a difference that takes place in their life that it's so noticeable that people go, wow, what happened? And then you have people that grew up in church, like myself. I mean, I went to church before I even knew I was there. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I have a tremendous testimony that I didn't have to go out into the garbage of this world to find out how great Jesus was. And never look down upon your testimony if it's one where you grew up in church and then you came to know Christ. That's powerful. You didn't have to go out and do all those terrible things to find out how precious Jesus Christ was. But the point that I'm making is, have there been changes that have taken place in your life since you've been saved? Do you have a, an interest in spiritual things? Do you find God's Word to be a delight? Do you look forward to coming to church? Now, sometimes the preacher doesn't even look forward to coming to church. I mean, I, I remember when I was pastoring, you know, I'd say, honey, I don't really want to go. And she goes, you have to, you're the pastor. No, she, no, she never said that. But no, listen, when you're born again, when you're saved, you, you, you look forward to spiritual things. You, you delight in it. That's your new life in Jesus Christ. Old things are gone. They're passed away. We're done with those things. Amen. Yes. And we're not, we're not, uh, we don't want to be the type that are like a dog that goes back to the vomit. Now that's a terrible, ugly illustration, but that's how God looks at our sin. That's how God looks at our past that he forgave us of. And he doesn't want us to go back to that. Remember the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt? Uh, God had done so many wonderful things to them, for them, and they, but they, uh, they neglected to appreciate what God's given to us. And I'm sorry to say this, but we are a spoiled generation in many ways. And we've received so much from the Lord that sometimes we're not as grateful and thankful as we ought to be. I want to tell you something. You have something within you that is Christ. And there are many people in this country that don't have Jesus. 
We must make Him known. We must delight in the changes that have come in our lives. And we must ask God to help us to change. And all of us could change some things right now in our lives that are not good. Some things that we're holding on to. The Bible says those are weights. They weigh us down. They hinder us from being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We need a filling of the Spirit of God. Ireland needs a revival of God's power. And we can experience it in our own lives. And we must ask God to help us. Lord, change me. Make me more like you. Give me your power and your strength to live a victorious Christian life, not a defeated one. The Bible says there's some things we need to put off. And there are some things we need to put on. There's a verse in 1 John 1, 7. It says, but we... But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. We all need cleansing even now. Maybe for the sins that have been done in the past, the past week, we need to ask God to forgive us for where we have failed the Lord or failed each other. None of us are perfect. All of us need to seek change in our life. Lord, make me more like You. Guide me and direct me in my life. So we must see change take place in our lives. Have you seen change? Have you seen people that got saved say, wow, they're totally different now. They're a delight to be around. Uh, They're interested in spiritual things. You know, one of the things that burdens my heart is a lot of Christians never really get to the place where they become evangelistic. They never come to the place where they ever give their testimony or give out a gospel tract. Let me tell you something. Where's the salt and light in this world? You know, God could write in the sky how to be saved, but instead he sends us. Wow, what a privilege that is. Amen? And may we go with the gospel. May that change be so evident in our lives that people see it. Number four, write down the word continues. Continues. A Christian, a truly born-again Christian, continues faithfully in the things of God. I want to take you to Acts chapter 2. Would you turn there? Acts chapter 2. I want you to see these verses. Chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly, what? Received his words. That's Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, notice, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wow, here's the starting of the new church, the first church. Look at verse 42. And they did what? They continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine. Now we understand what doctrine is, amen? What is doctrine? It's what God believes. Amen. We're not here. If I get up and say to you, well, you know, I believe, you're not going to be impressed. You don't even know me. Who cares what Dan Knickerbocker believes? But if I say to you, God's word says, wow, that takes on a whole new light, doesn't it? I can't argue with God. I can't argue with what God's word says. So what he's saying is, they continued steadfastly in the doctrine. Oh, doctrine so important. We must know what we believe. Many Christians cannot defend the faith that they have. And that's the purpose of the Institute. That's the purpose of the study of God's Word, that daily study of God's Word and learning what God believes. 
See, here's what we believe. Here's what we understand is the philosophy of the world. Paul told the church at Colossus, he said, Beware, lest anyone spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men and after the rudiments of the world. Did you know it doesn't matter what man thinks? Right. It really doesn't. Um, I would say that if we were to do a poll of all the people in here, we'd find about however many people there are, there'd be that many different philosophies. Well, I was raised to believe that this is okay or that's okay. It's like some children that were, were up in the Baltic states, and there was a missionary up there, and they were playing games with the kids, and, and one of the boys cheated, and he won. And the missionary said, you can't rejoice that you won because you cheated. He said, no. He said, doesn't matter how you win, it's that you win. That's the philosophy of the world. The gypsy people were taught that if somebody has something that you need, and they've got it, you can take it. That sounds good. That's stealing. <laughs> There's a philosophy that you can lie and steal and cheat and swear and you can do all those things that you want to do. That's the philosophy of the world. God's word is against the philosophy of the world. That's why God said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, what? The love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. The Bible makes it clear that we have been saved from the philosophy of the world. When we take on the doctrine of God, we begin to think like God thinks, Amen. not like man thinks. Notice the rest of the verse. Not only do they take on doctrine and we're steadfast in it, but also fellowship. I notice there's some food over here. I'm kind of getting excited. <laughs> Breaking of bread. Well, you know this is a Baptist church, amen? Breaking of bread and what? Prayers. We believe that God answers prayers. Isn't that a novelty? Wow. Prayer is not something we do just to say we did it. It's something we do to believe that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that ye ask or think. Our God is a God that is able to do amazing miracles and things beyond the ability of man. That's why I'm so impressed with God. Because he's able to do things that I can't do. Uh, the pastor asked me, what's your life verse this morning? I said, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, God is saying, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Things beyond, <coughs> things beyond my own ability. Let me give you an uh, Back in January of this year, um, my wife and I were talking about upgrading our van. And, um, you know, I didn't have any money for it. Honestly, I didn't. And um, so we went to Florida. I was preaching down in Florida, and um, I, I couldn't find a vehicle down there. And then we went up to Virginia. I saw a vehicle I really liked, but I said, nah, they want too much for it. Then I went to Ohio, and that's the place where you can buy the real nice conversion vans and everything. They were so expensive, and they were rusty. And I, I, I just like, nah, that, that, there's nothing here for me. And I was preaching in a church up in Ohio, just a Sunday. And the pastor said, Dan, is there anything you need? Now, be honest with me. And I was like, oh boy, I don't know. So I said, well, my wife and I are praying about upgrading our van. And he goes, okay. He said, oh God, I pray. And he, man, he prayed over me. 
And I'm going, hmm. And he prayed, oh God, you know their need and you're able to do anything. And, and uh, boy, he just went on praying. I'm like, wow, man, this guy's getting with it. That, that was one of the most real prayers I think I'd heard in a while. And, I, and then I said to him, I said, brother, you don't have to say anything about that before the church because I, I, I'm only here on a Sunday and I don't want people thinking I'm coming to take money and all that stuff. He goes, I'll tell you what I'll do. If the Holy Spirit tells me to speak about it, I will. And if he says no, then I won't. Fair enough. So he got up and he just said to the folks, the Knickerbockers want to upgrade their van. And, and, <laughs> and, uh, and he said, uh, I really feel led of the Lord for our church to vote and give them $1,000 toward that so they can start a fund for that purpose. And man, people were raising their hands, one, two, three, second, third, fourth, whatever. And uh, I was like, wow, that's amazing. I, I, thought, I thought that was amazing. Don't you? How many think that was really great? <laughs> I thought that was great. And then he said, now, and then he made this one little statement. If anybody uh, would like to add to that, just put it in the Sunday night office. That's all he said. So he gave me the check, and he said, the Lord is good. And I said, all the time. You've heard that one, right? And so uh, I got back to the, I got back to the, uh, the, the deacon's house, and, and I opened up the check, and it was $11,500. Half of the money I needed for this van. $23,000 van. And so I thought, you know, I think the Lord's in this. Have you ever thought maybe the Lord might be in something? I was like, wow. So the, the, uh, the deacon said, well, we need to go looking for some vans today, don't we? And I said, yeah, we do. And so he got done milking, and we went looking for vans, and we couldn't find anything. And then I told him about the one in Virginia, and he said, that's your van right there. So I called, bought it. I went to the bank and got uh, $10,000 so I could pay for it. And I got a new van. Beautiful. All I owe is $10,000 on it. Me and the Lord worked it out, amen? Well, here's what happened. The Lord said, hold it right there. Um, I want to take care of this. Are you sitting down? In 47 days, all the money came in and it was paid off. Now, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God took care of it. It's, it's paid for. I like that, don't you? Isn't God good? What I'm saying is when you surrender your life to the Lord and you commit yourself to God's keeping and you continue, don't be a hot and cold Christian. Be a steady Christian. Be there every time the doors are open. Give of your tithes and offerings. Prepare yourself to be greatly used of God. Lord, use me. Would you use me? I've seen God use other people, but I'm, I'm a little selfish. I want God to use me. Why not? It's exciting when God's work. I could tell you story after story of God's provision, how God took care of things, and how God has used us in His ministry. We stepped out by faith and trusted God, and wow, it's amazing. God's never let me down. That's 40, over 40 years in the ministry. And I have no complaints. And I have no regrets. If there are any regrets, it's that I failed the Lord. That I wasn't as faithful as I could have and should have been. Number five. So I want you to continue. God wants you to continue faithful. Your continuing and your faithfulness will cause you to, number five, communicate. Communicate. Paul told the church at Galatia, he said, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel. 
which I preached among the Gentiles. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 20, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Communicating. Communicating. Now, some of you say, well, I really can't communicate very well. I'm kind of a shy person. Well, let me find out what your hobby is, and I won't be able to get you to stop talking. Isn't that true? We, we, we talk about what we, what we like, and when people get an interest in spiritual things, they're going to communicate spiritual things. Has anybody ever come up to you and said, man, look at this verse that I read this morning. Wow, does it minister to my heart. What a blessing it was to my heart. Do you communicate spiritually? If a person out here says to you, hey, how you doing? Why don't you tell them? Say, I'm saved. Man, I go to Bible Baptist Church. I'm excited about what God's done for me. Why don't you come and join me? You can say something in not even 10 seconds that can cause that person to say, they've got something I need. You see, we must communicate the gospel. So often we communicate other things. But there's nothing more important than the gospel. I don't care what you're toting. I don't care what you're promoting. I don't care what you think is important. God's word and the gospel is the most important thing. There's nothing more important than it. Because without Christ, man goes to hell. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's exclusive. It's only through Jesus Christ and him alone. We must communicate that. You know, multimedia presentations are amazing. Uh, we had a, a pastor's wife in a church in Buffkin, Texas, said to me uh, uh, on, on Facebook Live, uh, she gave a testimony to everybody. Thousands, thousands of people listened to her testimony. I was almost in tears listening to it because I thought, here's someone that said, I do not want to be silent about my relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and she went live and shared it. And, and you know, anytime somebody else shares it, it goes to maybe another thousand, another thousand, another five hundred. What greater way to communicate the gospel than to get the word out through the media? Why not? A lot of other terrible things they're putting out by the media. Why shouldn't we be putting out the gospel? Your testimony, not somebody else's, yours. Giving God, God's word to people. The Bible says, my word will not return unto me void. It will accomplish that which I, I please. So we must communicate the gospel. And they went everywhere, wherever they went. In fact, God allowed persecution to come upon the church at Jerusalem to do what? Scatter the people, to go everywhere with the gospel. Amen. Thank the Lord for people that go to foreign countries and, and, and share the gospel with people that have never heard. But I declare to you there are people in this city that have never heard. And that's why we go. That's why we talk to people about the Lord. Number six, I must hurry, i got two more. Number six, we must contend. We must contend for the faith. The Bible says we're to earnestly contend for the faith. Jude, verses 3 and 4, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and, that, and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. How do we contend? Let me give you a perfect example of it. I was in Alaska. And my brother-in-laws and a man that lived up, lived, lived, this is off the grid, way out 25 miles in a float plane 
to get there. You can't get there by car. And there's a man up there, Jewish man, brilliant, brilliant uh, schooled man. And uh, he, has a, he has a cottage out there. And he was out there work, working on this place. And, and he came and ate with us. And you know what, you know what my brother-in-law told him? He said, he said um, I want you to know my brother-in-law is coming and he's a fundamental Baptist. So this Jewish man said, um, your brother-in-law tells me you're one of those fundamental Baptists. And he didn't say it in loving terms. I said, yes, I am. He goes, well, I've got a question for you then. Brilliant, brilliant Jewish man. He said, do you believe that if Jews don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're all going to go to hell? Here's the test. Are you willing to contend for your faith? And I said, you are absolutely right. He asked me a couple other questions about lifestyles and things like that. Boy, he, he put the questions to me, and I had to contend for the faith. Well, I, I thought he's going to really be upset with me because I'm what they would call narrow-minded instead of broad-minded. So my wife had some tracks ready. She's good at getting me ready, boy. She put those tracks in my hand. And I gave them to Bob, and Bob took them up to his cottage and read them. He came back the next day, and he said, he walked in, and I was like, oh man, here it goes. He said, you, just like this, you are doing a great work. <laughs> I said, I, are, you just complimented me. He goes, I did. I said, you are going to get saved. <laughs> and I believe you will. I'm praying for Bob. Pray for Bob to get saved. Amen? Amen? He needs the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. He knows all about Jesus. But he's not saved. Isn't that something? To know about him and then not to embrace him. I said, you're one of God's chosen people. Yes, sir. You're Jewish. He goes, yeah. He said, I was hoping God wouldn't put that on us. <laughs> I wish God hadn't put that on us. I said, well, to be saved, you'll be glad he did. Yeah. Amen. You've got to contend for the faith. Take a stand for Jesus. Number seven. And this is so important. The conclusion of your life. Now, some of you are very young. You've got more years ahead of you, if Jesus doesn't come, than you have behind you. But I'm one of those that has more years behind me than I have ahead of me. I got a blood clot in my left leg in 2015. That blood clot went up into my heart and came out into my lungs. And thank the Lord, uh, he didn't take me. I mean, of course, I really would have loved to have gone to be with the Lord, preached about all these years, kind of looking forward to it, amen. But the Lord said, no, not yet. And I could have been done. I need to make every day of my life count for God. Don't you think you do too? I don't know when my last day is coming. Could be today. Thank the Lord the rapture may come today. Amen. That'd be a nice way to go right out of a church service, wouldn't it? Plus preaching too. But here's the thing. How are you going to finish your life? Is it going to be in the center of God's will, doing exactly what God wants you to do? 
Or are you going to live for yourself and not give God your best? That's, that's, that's the decision you're going to make. If you're not saved, you need to be saved today. You say, oh, I'll get saved later. You're not promised of tomorrow. You don't know what a day's going to bring. I had a, I was preaching in a church. The Filipino man in, uh, in Virginia Beach, he got up to sing, 20 years old, sharp young student, college student. He said, before I sing this song, I want to tell you something. One of my good friends died yesterday. He's my age, 20 years old. And um, he said, pray for me that God will help me to understand this. Now, I don't know whether he was saved or not. I tend to think that he was, but 20 years old, gone. Just like that. You're not promised of tomorrow. If you know you're lost and you need to be saved, if you're wise, you'll come and get saved today. If you're saved, but you say, you know, Brother Knickerbocker, I've not been continuing like I should, or I've not been confessing my, my, my faith, I've not been communicating, any one of those areas that I spoke about, I want you to come and I want you to ask God to help you to fulfill His plan and His purpose in your life. Prove that you have the faith of the Lord Jesus in your life. Let's bow our heads together. I'd like the pianist to come and softly play, if she may. And as she does, let's all stand together with heads bowed. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond to the message this morning. If you're not saved, I, the pastor's right here at the front. He's ready to, sh to show you from the Bible how to be saved. As the pianist plays, if you're not saved, why don't you come and accept Christ as your Savior? If you've been convicted of your sin and you are convinced you need to be saved, then you need to be converted. Would you come right now? Just slip out of your seat. The pastor's right here. Pastor, could you come over here? He's right here. If you're a lady, the pastor's wife would love to show you how to be saved. Would you come right now and accept Christ as your Savior? You don't have to be afraid. We love you. Jesus loves you and died for you and wants to be your Savior. Now, Christian, if you are saved, but you say, I've got some things I need to work on, would you come right now? Just come and you can just kneel here at the front. Take a stand for the Lord this morning. Amen. God bless you, sister. Amen, brother. Anyone else? I want God's power in my life. I want God to do miracles in my life. Would you come right now? Maybe you're burdened for somebody. Maybe you've not been a witness. Why don't you come and ask God to give you witnessing power to be a testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ? Maybe you have fear about that. Why don't you come? Amen. And just pray. Anyone else want to come? This is your opportunity to put into practice what was just preached. Oh, may God help us. How about some of you men? Is God dealing with you about some things? Maybe there's some things in your life that need to change. Maybe there's some things that you need to do that you're not doing or things you need to stop doing. Why don't you come and ask God for victory? God is a great God. And He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. There's nothing too hard for our God. Why don't you come and take a moment and just ask the Lord for strength and help in your Christian life. Would you do that?